Morning, everyone. Today, I want to take a look at, continue our uh, series called A Christmas Story. And um, w- a- a- again, with any story, you have different people playing, uh, uh, you know, different people in the, in the plot. And, uh, and, and, and this, as we go through each week, we're taking a look at, e- uh, you know, at a couple individuals or an, an individual uh, each week. And so last week, we talked about King Herod. And Herod was like one of those guys, kind of an obscure guy. You're thinking, okay, how, you know, how can we really draw anything from him? But as we took a look at his life, well, there was, there was a, some things there that we could, you know, kind of, as we took a look at it, it was kind of like, wow, that, that, that can kind of parallel my life a little bit. Or I can kind of, I can kind of relate with the guy a little bit in that situation. And so hopefully what happens is, as we take a look at these guys, we can either, uh, you know, say, I don't want to be like that, and I really want to, uh, you know, uh, go in a different direction, or, or I do want to be like that. And today we're going to t- t- take a look at an individual where we'd say, you know what, I want to be like that guy. I want to, I want to, uh, t- to take pieces of his life and implement them in my life and have that sa- same type of faith. And so this morning I want to t- t- share with you uh, about Simeon. And Simeon is one of these guys where we don't have, inf- kind of like Herod, we don't have a lot of information outside of this particular story, outside of the birth of Christ. And so um, we find Simeon uh, as, as uh, Joseph and Mary after Jesus was born, and he was old enough to go through some of the, uh, the religious ceremonial uh, uh, you know, purification laws and thing like, things like that that they were observing. Uh, we read about this guy by the name of Simeon. And so if you would, follow with me uh, in Luke chapter 2, uh, and we're going to take a look at verse 25. Uh, and, and some verses after that. If you didn't bring your Bible, grab one out of the pew in front of you and uh, follow along with us as we take a look at Simeon's life. Now, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. It will read a little bit different if you're in the NIV or another translation, but uh, uh, it, I, I really like the way it articulates a couple verses here that I want to point out. Uh, Luke chapter 2, uh, verse 25 says this, Now there was a man named Simeon who lived in Jerusalem. He was a righteous man and, a very, and, very, and very devout. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and eagerly expected the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy, the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Lord, now I can die in peace. As you promised me, I have seen the Savior you have given to all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and He is the glory of your people Israel. Joseph and Mary were amazed at what was being said about Jesus. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, This child will be rejected by many in Israel, and it will be their undoing. But he will be the greater joy to many others. Thus, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. As we take a look at this guy by the name of Simeon, just from our reading, and this is really all we have about Simeon, but as we take a look about, uh, at this guy, uh, there's, some, there's a couple of things I want to point out to you. Uh, a couple of things I think is very interesting. Number one, in my translation, it says that uh, he was, when I, I think in the NIV says the same thing, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, in those days, before Pentecost, before Jesus died and ascended uh, back into heaven to sit, to, to sit on his throne and to give to all believers you know, the gift uh, of the Holy Spirit who leads us into uh, righteousness and comforts us and, and uh, um, uh, has various other ministry, uh, ministry he brings within our lives, before that took place, we, we, knew, we know that the Spirit didn't really indwell in people like it does today. 
We, we uh, see uh, uh, through the Old Testament that the Spirit might indwell in a person and then leave that person, such as the uh, guy by the name of King Saul. If you remember that whole story, King Saul, and I believe it was when he, uh, and you might want to check me out on this one, but I believe it was when he uh, uh, consulted with the witch of Endor uh, to, get, to gain wisdom. Uh, it, it grieved God so much that God removed his Spirit, the Holy Spirit, from him and uh, placed an evil spirit within him. And so, uh, or an evil spirit took over him. And so, uh, as we read through the, through the Old Testament, we see glimpses of the Holy Spirit working. We see glimpses of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but it wasn't like it is today. And, it, and you never really read about someone uh, really, I mean, it wasn't common to read about someone really being filled with the Holy Spirit like we read today in the life of Simeon which was before Pentecost. And so one thing that we really see about him, that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Another thing was, he was not, he was not a religious leader. It says that he, was a, he lived in Jerusalem, and he was a righteous and very devout man. So he was just like a common person, but he had something uh, besides the Holy Spirit that was very interesting that I want to draw our attention to today is, in my translation it says that he eagerly expected the Messiah to come. He eagerly expected the Messiah to come. I wonder how many of us are eagerly expecting something from God today. I wonder how many of us are sitting in here this morning that says, you know what, and when I talk about eagerly expecting something, I'm really kind of tapping into the faith issue that says, God, you communicated something to me. God, you promised this to me, and I am eagerly expecting this. God, my faith is saying that because you've promised this, I believe 100% that it's going to happen. And God, I'm waiting. God, I'm, 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 I sense that you promised it, and I am holding out, and I am waiting until that takes place. I wonder how many of us in here has that level of faith where we say, God, I am here, and I am not moving until I see this. Simeon's life was so centered upon this one expectation that he says this, Now I can die. I mean, he says, now I can die. Now I've seen the Messiah. God, now I've seen the promise in which you stated to me. God, you said that I would see the Messiah of this, uh, of, of, um, you know, uh, of you, and and now I can literally die. Listen to what else he says. And and this is, this is what's interesting to me. This man got it. This man got it when it, when, when we talk about Jesus, when we talk about the Messiah coming. A lot of people in that day didn't get the picture. They, you know, they heard about the Messiah coming. King Herod was very threatened. Why? Because he viewed Jesus as a political king, as did many others. Even some of the religious leaders didn't get it. Even some of the disciples didn't get it until later on in their lives, or even after Christ uh, was, was dead and rose again. But this man understood it from the get-go. This man got it. And he was eagerly expecting it. And he understood that Jesus wasn't bringing or wasn't ushering in a political kingdom per se, but Jesus was ushering in a spiritual kingdom. Listen to what he says in verse 29 there. He says, Lord, now I can die in peace as you promised. I have seen the Savior you have given to who? To all people, not just to Israel, but to all people, the salvation of the world. He is a light to reveal God to the nations. And he is the glory of your people Israel. Simeon got it. How did Simeon get it and other people didn't? What did Simeon have that other people didn't have at their disposal? What made Simeon so centered? What, what raised his bar of faith? What raised his level of expectation to know that this, that this was the Messiah, that there was something much bigger to this picture 
than just a baby being brought into the world that might be a political, the political uh, Messiah of, you know, uh, of a kingdom. Simeon understood it. And yet he wasn't a religious leader. But he was a devout, someone who lived in Jerusalem, a devout and righteous man. I wonder how many of us in here this morning that we need to take our level of faith to the level that Simeon had. Where we're eagerly expecting God to do something within our lives. Where we're eagerly expecting God to come through on a promise that He stated to us in our lives. I wonder how many of us in here this morning are eagerly anticipating that. I wonder how many in here this morning could say, you know what, God has God has shared some stuff with me that He's going to do in and through my life. You see, this is what I want to talk about this morning. I want to talk about our faith, okay? And some of these things we've already shared, but I want to revisit this because this is really a faith issue. Simeon had an incredible deep level of faith that said, God said it, God will do it. I believe it. And when I see it, then I can die. I wonder how many of us in here needs that needs our faith needs a, like an injection a renewing of faith this morning where we can walk out with a new level of hope knowing that God is still in control. God says in the word of uh, in his word he, in one passage of scripture he says according to your faith it will be done to you. Now when I read a passage of scripture like this according to your faith it will be done to you the next logical question would be like what the apostles said in 17:5 they said in Luke 17:5 they said this Lord increase our faith I mean, that's a logical step, isn't it? I mean, God's, Jesus says, according to your faith, it will be done to you. Okay, then increase my faith. Because I'm struggling at times. Because at times I'm really having, a, having some trouble here. So, how many of us in here would like to have more faith? I wonder how many of us in here would say, you know what? I, at, 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 at this time of the year especially, I need a renewing of faith. So then the question becomes, how does God do that? How does God do that within our lives? It, you know, if faith what's ma- makes life more rewarding and fulfilling and more, more uh, confident, then how does God build our faith? So the question I want to talk to you today ab- about is, how does God build our faith? And we know how He builds our faith through James 1.3 when James says this, the testing of your faith, the testing of what you've got, the testing of your faith develops perseverance so that you may be mature and complete. Job says this in his, in his writing. What is the man that you make so much of him that you give him so much attention? That you examine him every morning and test him every moment. And so here's the, here's the key. The way we become more mature in our faith, the way we raise that bar and that level of expectation where we're saying, God, I have the faith that you're going to show up. God, this is what your word says. God, this is who you are. God, this is how you've revealed yourself. And I have the faith and I am eagerly expecting that you're going to come through in either in this situation or you know these situations or whatever it may be. How does God take our level of faith up to those next levels, up to those next few notches? Well, I want to share with you a few things very quickly how he does this. Number one, he, uh, again, he tests it, but on the how part, he tests it through difficulties. Trials, problems, pressures, tough circumstances. There are facts of life that each and every one of us face every single day. Some of you are going to face some testing today. Some of us are going to face it as soon as we leave this place. Some of us will get a phone call later on this afternoon where something presents itself, and it's a difficulty. It's a circumstance. It's life happening to us. The question is, how do we handle that? And how do we handle that as Christ followers? If we know that God uses things like this to help develop our faith, it enables us to say, you know what? 
if I lean on God, if I can understand how God can use this, then that means I can go through this process with Him and my faith will increase. It will happen. The problem is that many of us, we don't understand that process and we get hung up and we kind of stay at our same level of spiritual maturity our whole lives. Some of us will be in, clicked in the third grade or fourth grade or fifth grade or whatever it may be. And I understand that all of us are on different, we're on this same journey. But is there growth taking place within our lives? We're all at different spots. I get that. But are we growing? Are you growing? Do you understand how when something, a difficulty happens within your life, do you understand that what Peter says in his writing, he says this, For a little while you have, you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You see, what happens is, when we begin to take a bigger picture, when we begin to take a look and a bigger picture at our difficulties, life circumstances and things like that, and we realize that God can use them, now we begin to understand that God is, is a big God. That God uses things within our lives to bring Him glory and to help us to become more like Him. Think The picture becomes much more broad. And sometimes, again, He allows things to come in our lives to help teach us our faith. By the way, Jonah, the whole story of Jonah, he had a custom problem built for him, didn't he? He gets swallowed by a whale. Jonah had a whale of a problem, did he not? I've been waiting all weekend to say that. And you know what? It did, this is the third time, and it, were, it didn't get tiresome, you know? So anyhow, we're done. We can leave now. But Jonah, Jonah had a huge problem, didn't he? God used something to get his attention. By the way, guys, let me ask you this question. When is it that God really gets our attention? I mean, let's just be honest with one another. When is it that God really gets our attention? Is it not when we experience a whale of a problem? When we hit rock bottom, when we look out and we say, you know what, this doesn't look like the way it should look. You know what, this doesn't look like the way I've expected it to look. This doesn't look like the way I'm trying to control, control things to look. This isn't really cool. My life is really not going in the direction that I want it to go. And, and so what happens is, we, so often we hit absolute rock bottom. We hit pavement. We hit the dirt. And it's usually then and only, I shouldn't say only then, but it's usually then that that's when God really gets our attention where we say, you know what, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. You see, the problem is, if we would understand maybe that God's been trying to communicate to us in the past over, over, a, over a, you know, a period of time, and if we would have tuned in to say, you know what, God might be trying to use this situation to grow me. He might be trying to use this situation for my faith to become more mature, for me, for me to become more like Him. But a lot of times it's not until the whale swallows us or we have this huge problem. You know, and, and, and so the issue is if we can understand that He uses all kinds of things, all kinds of things to, to, uh, uh, to help grow us. Isaiah says this, God says this through the prophet Isaiah, I have refined you, though not as silver, I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. James goes on to say this. You know, when, when we take a look at, you know, how do we respond to these difficulties? James says this. Consider it pure joy. Now, I don't know about you, and just out of my human fleshly nature, I want to tell you something. When I read someone say, you know what, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, I just want to say, oh, yippee, let's have a party. 
I've got something, you know, you know, someone comes, you know, and, 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 and says, hey, Gail, by the way, we've got this going on now. It's like, oh, that's awesome. Let's throw a party, man. Let's get the balloons out, man, because this is going to be really cool. And I don't think that's what James is saying. But if we can be spiritually mature enough to say, you know what? This is a problem. This is something that, that I'm, not sure, I'm not so sure how it's going to be solved. But the one thing I do know is that God can solve this. And I begin to understand that God's going to use that situation to enable me to be, become more spiritually mature and to grow more into His likeness. Then things take on a whole new meaning. James says, consider it pure joy, because when you face those things, when you go through those things, when you face trials, you know the testing of your faith, if you go through it correctly, develops perseverance. So James says, kick back and relax a little bit, and have a positive outlook on, some, on the difficulties, because God can use it to make you more like Him. The second thing is this, resolve. Resolve. Are you willing to hang in there and do the right thing? Are you willing to become aware of what it means to be kingdom-minded? Have a kingdom mindset. Jesus or God uses His Word to reveal Himself to us. God uses His Word to say, this is, as we read His Word, we read what kingdom-minded people look like. Those of us that say, I am following Jesus Christ. Those of us that say, I have placed my faith and trust in Christ, and now I am a Christian, meaning that I look like Christ, I'm a little Christ. The, those of us that say that, are we willing to, look, to read this Word and to read and allow God to reveal Himself more to us and to take on those attributes, to allow Him to, to give us those attributes and, and live it out? Really live it out when it doesn't make sense. Because I want to tell you something, guys. When I'm facing a problem, and I, often when I look to the Word of God and what the Word of God has to say about dealing with that problem, let me tell you what, more than not, it is inconvenient, it's impossible... And it's unreasonable to me. Because my human flesh doesn't want to do what God wants to do. My human flesh doesn't want to deal with a situation the way God wants me to deal with the situation. For instance, the question is this, who am I going to believe? What God says to do or what I think is right to do? What's more convenient for Gail? What's more convenient for you when you face a problem? Or listening to other people tell you how to face a problem? For instances, things like this. As we read the Word of God, the Bible tells us not to worry about anything. Don't worry about anything. Now, if we sat down and had a conversation, some of us would say this. You know what? I'm not really worrying. I just think about it a lot. Right? I, I'm not real, Now, don't, don't hear me wrong. I'm not really worrying about it. It does consume a lot of my time. But I'm not worrying about it. And so we rationalize, don't we? Or we say, well, it's too hard not to worry. It's, it's, it's on my mind all the time. Everybody I talk to, they just bring it up. Yet the Bible says, don't worry about anything. The Bible also tells us to pray for our enemies. Now that one makes sense, doesn't it? Someone persecutes me, someone does something to me, someone lashes out to me, someone does something wrong to me. The last thing I want to do is sit down and pray for that individual. And I'll be honest with you, I do get there. But it's not my first reaction. I don't want to pray for someone who criticizes me or mocks me, who, who, who brings pain into my life. 
I don't want to pray for that person. Well, if I pray for him, I want to pray that death will incur in their family or something. You know what I mean? Something negative. So maybe you don't want me to pray for you. I don't know. I'm joking. The point is this. The Word of God tells us to pray for those individuals. It also tells us to forgive other people. It also tells us to be thankful for everything. The question is this, guys. Do we have the resolve to do the right thing? Do we have the resolve to say, you know what? God has called me to this way, to this way of living, and I'm going to, I'm going to at the hardest I can, through the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit, I am going to live it out. I'm going to do what the Word of God is asking me to do. We talk, Again, I, I keep referring to the Radical series we just came from. Or even when we talked about... Um, a series we did right at the first of the year, um, uh, Christian Atheism. It's the same thing. A lot of us, we say, well, I'm, you know, I'm a believer in Christ. I believe in it. I'm a Christian. But when it comes down to it, do we really follow out and live our lives the way God is instructing us to live our lives? When he says, this is what someone that's part of my kingdom will look like. Does that describe us? God came to Abraham one day. Abraham's 75 years old, and Abraham's ready to hang it up. And God says, it's not time to hang it up. And Abraham says, well, where do you want me to go? And God says, I'll tell you when we get there. Well, how are we going to do this? Well, I'll let you know as we go. Guys, let me ask you a question. And again, we, I think we glamorize Scripture. When we read about guys like that, it's like, oh, that's a neat story, isn't it? Well, let me ask you something. Would you do that? Would you do that at 35? Would you do that at age 40? Would you... Go to your friends and say, hey, i got something to tell you. My quiet time with God, He's asking me to do something, and you know I'm willing to do it. And this is hardcore self-abandonment. Well, what's He asking you to do? I don't know. I do know that He's asking me to liquidate everything so that I can go. Really? Well, where are you going to go? Ah, he hasn't told me that yet. How many of your friends would look at you and say, are you crazy? Seriously. How many of you would do that? How many of you would struggle with that? If God said, I want you to, do, I want you to follow me blindly. I want you to do this. You see, a lot of times we look at the Word of God, and instead of, instead of having the resolve, we begin to rationalize things, and we say, well, is that really what that means? What if it is what that means? What if we quit rationalizing? What if we said, you know what, God, I'm going to follow you regardless. Because I believe that's what you teach. That's how you reveal yourself in the scripture. That there's times where you call us into the unknown. And I'm willing to follow you. Would you be willing to do Is that where your faith is at? Is that where your level of expectation is at? Noah did it. Hebrews 11.8, it says, By faith Abraham obeyed and he went. He understood it was, going to cause, it was going to have some high risks. Our expectancy, our faith, is tested through difficulties and resolve. When God says it, do we do it? Whether we understand it or not, whether it makes sense or not, that's a test of faith. The third thing is this, timing. This is huge. Because I don't know about you, but I'm not a big person on waiting. I don't like to wait, right? But, you know, and we could... I mean, we could talk about the whole waiting process, but, you know, 
patience is one thing that is, not, is really not a gift for me. And I, and I have joked about this, but I am sincere. That's one thing I don't pray about because that's the last thing I want to be taught is patience, right? Because you're right smack dab in the middle of learning patience. And, and, and God, out of His love, wanting me to become more of a patient person, puts me in those situations regardless if I want it or not. Because he's, He loves us so much that he's not, willing us to, to, he's not willing to allow us to stay where we're at. But this whole timing issue is, is really critical. What happens, you know, here's the issue. If every prayer you had was immediately answered, if every problem or need that you had was automatically met, if every problem or, or, or every thing that you had in your life where you didn't really have to rely upon anything was just kind of handed to you and you didn't have to think about it, we really wouldn't need faith, would we? I mean, we really wouldn't need faith. But it's human nature that we don't like to wait. How many of us are sitting here this morning, we've been praying about something where God is just silent. God is not moved. And what do we do? Well, I guess God doesn't want me to do that now. Well, I guess I was wrong on that one. Because I prayed about it yesterday and I haven't heard from Him. Or, you know... I, I just, I, I don't know where God's at in this one. I, you know, my heart is, is restless. My soul feels pretty heavy. I'm praying, but I don't, I don't hear anything. Guys, let me give you a little glimpse of what Simeon experienced. And, and let me just see if, you know, we could relate with him. It's been 400 years to this point where Jesus is born since God had interacted with man. 400, does that make sense? 400 years. Meaning that for 400 years, there has been silence. Complete silence. Nothing. Zippo. 400 years. At what point do people start saying, God's not here anymore. God's dead. We royally mess this up. God's not communicating. God is not doing anything. He's not moving. And yet Simeon believed. Simeon had this high level, this eager level of expectation that said, no, 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 no. I, before I die, I will see the Messiah because that is what God promised me. I wonder how many of us in here have that resolve to kick us through the timing section of, our, of faith when God doesn't move and we hate to wait. Let me share with you some just fun facts real quick. It has nothing to do with anything, but they're just fun facts when it comes to timing. Some trivia. It takes six seconds to fold a terry cloth towel. All right? Just hang with me. It takes ten seconds for a slinky to tumble down a full flight of stairs. Now, here's what I want you to do. As I read through some of these, if some of them strike you, I want you to write it down. I want you to go test it. Because there's a couple in here I'm not sure about. It takes 10 minutes for a snowflake to form. It takes 13 hours for weekly food preparation for the average American family. It takes 24 hours for plaque to colonize on your teeth. It takes 80 hours and 42 minutes to complete the household tasks in a family who have children under 12. It takes one week for bacon to lose its freshness in the refrigerator at 32 degrees. Who would know that? 
All right, Carl, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take that bacon, I want you to go sit in front of the refrigerator, and I want you to document as soon as it loses its freshness. And I want you to do it two or three times to prove the validity of our test, all right? How about this one? It took 600 years for Oxford University to admit women to the degree program. And here's my favorite. If any of you have this type of time, document this one. It takes 3,000 years for a Japanese peach to ripen. How do we know that? I don't, I don't understand that one. So someone needs to do some research on that. But, but, but the issue is, number one, those had nothing to do with what we're talking about, okay? So don't try to piece them together. Number two, we're talking about timing. Time. And how we struggle with it. How we struggle to operate in God's timing. Another example of this is Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, where God, where God led the people into, it says, God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to do what? To test you in order to know what was in your heart. You see, the pro, here's the issue, guys, there's t- where I'm convinced of this. There's times where God, I think God is communicating to us this. Shut up and listen to me. Be still and know that I am God. One of the hardest things we can do is to sit down and to wait and to listen for the voice of God. It like goes against the grain and the fabric of who we are. And I'm convinced that there are times that we do things within our lives that that it like digs us in deeper holes because we can't sit down for some reason And listen to God. Or to do like Simeon did and said, God, I know that you I know that you have promised this. God, I I am not going to I will only when I die is after I see the Messiah. My life is built upon this eager expectation, this sense of faith. And God says, I'm gonna you know, God says, I'm gonna test you. Through your patience, through your resolve, through your timing. We always want to know the when question. God, when are you going to make my marriage okay? When are you going to turn it around? God, when are you going to help me meet the right person? God, or how is this going to happen? Or God, when is this going to take place? God, when are you going to move? When are you going to do this? When, when, when? How, how, how? Isaiah says this. God acts on the behalf of those who wait for Him. You see, the truth is this. While we're waiting, God is working. We may not see it. That's the issue. We may not see it. We can't see it a lot of times. But God is working. God has all the details. God has the bigger picture figured out. But while we are waiting, while we are waiting in faith, while we are waiting in eager expectation, God is moving. God is working. The psalmist says in 37, 34, Wait for the Lord and keep His way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. The last thing I want to share with you and how God develops our faith and can take our faith to the next level, but He tests it through things, is through money. God uses money as a test of our faith. For many people, our finances will be the greatest test. For many of us, or some of you sitting in here, that your greatest test is going to be how you deal with your money, how you view your money, how you view your resources. And sometimes we have absolutely no idea at all that God is testing our faith in this department. Luke 16.11, Jesus says this, If you haven't been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? 
You see, here's the issue, guys. And man, you know, I think we can all relate to this one. As long as we have this false idol of money within our lives, okay? We've erected this false god, this idol within our lives called money. And as long as we have some money in the bank, as long as we have a little bit of savings, as long as we have something that we can fall back on, what does that provide for us? Security? Comfort? Confidence? But you take this false idol out of our lives. And that's what idols do. They try to provide something that only God can provide. And there's other idols that we erect in our lives, but this is one big one. This is one huge one within our lives. We erect this this idol that we bow down to called money. And and as long as we have money to provide security and comfort within our lives, everything feels good. But you take that down, then what happens? I think that's one reason why a lot of us got really upset with this whole economy thing. Because it got scary. And for some of us, it's very scary. For some of you, you're living them out on what it means to really, truly follow God and have an eager expectation because if God doesn't show up in your life, you don't know what you're going to do. You don't know how you're going to pay the next bill. But you're really relying upon God. Some of us that have the false idol in our lives, we don't have to rely upon God that much. Because we got the false idol going. And God's testing us. You know, one of the last sermons that Moses ever gave to the people of Israel, and I want to paraphrase it, is when they were standing there and they were getting ready to go into the promised land and Moses wasn't going to get to go, but this whole new generation has risen up and Moses speaks to them. And if you remember that whole sermon, he says this. When you go into this land you're going to experience incredible blessings. You're going to experience incredible things. You're, going to exp- you're not going to have to want for anything. This is going to literally be the land of milk and honey. This is going to be the land where you're going to want nothing. You're going to be blessed. You're going to be blessed with all kinds of things. And Moses says this, when you get to that point, do not forget God. Because what happens when we don't have to rely upon God? So often, we forget. Do we not? We rely upon other things. We rely upon maybe our own strengths. We rely upon our own thinking. We rely upon what, you know, the things that we can control. We rely upon our false gods. And Moses is saying, there's going to come a time where it's going to be tested. There's going to come a time where it's going to be tested because you don't have to rely upon Him so much. Per se, and you're going to forget about God. Let me ask you a question. What did they do? They forgot about God, didn't they? The very thing that he told them. Here's the interesting thing. We have it documented. We have, we have a book where this God that we serve chooses to use this, his word to reveal himself to us in all kinds of ways. All kinds of ways. If we sit down and we read this book, we read about different individuals, we read about different nations, we read about all kinds of peoples that have come in contact with this God, this living this, the creator of this world. We, we read about how this, this God interacts with us, we read about how this God prov- has provided this, this incredible plan so that we can, we can live with him for eternity and in, in, in his love. 
we read about that. He reveal he he reveals that he reveals himself to us. He communicates to us to say, "This is who I am. This is how I interact with people." We have that, and yet so often our faith is so minimal because we don't take his revelation to heart, like Simeon did to say, "God." You promised this. That you, this is how you reveal yourself. God, this is who you are. This is how you'll take care of your children. And so for many of us, we will struggle with that. Listen to what Paul says when it comes to, finance, or, uh, comes to money. He says in 2 Corinthians 8, 7, 8, he says, Excel in the grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. He said this, he said to the Corinthians, I want you to take a look at the Macedonians, this other church in Macedonia. I want you to take a look at them, and I want you to see how they're doing it, because they, they're spot on. They're doing it. Compare yourself to them. They're, look what they're doing, and look at how they're doing it. This is the amazing thing. Because this verse is saying that not, it not only tests our faith, but it tests the sincerity of our love. How much I really love God. I'm willing to put my money where my mouth is. Guys, this is why when we take up an offering, or we give an offering, it is an act of worship. It is a total act of worship between you and God. Here's the kicker, and we've said this before, and this is very dangerous to say, but I'm placing my faith and trust in God. If you've got a, and I'm not, there's not a situation in my mind, I'm just simply stating this. If you, this is, that's between you and God when it comes to your finances. If there's a struggle there and you don't believe in something or, you're try, or you take your money and you leverage it and trying to hold it against the church or whatever, guys, it has nothing to do with element per se. It's between you and God. Keep your money. It's between you and God. This is God's ministry. This is God. And when you give, when you, in, when you act in that spiritual act of worship, that spiritual act of giving, it's, it's something that you're doing between you and God where you're saying, God, I, I trust you with my life. And second of all, that's hopefully where you begin to grasp the concept that, God, everything I have isn't mine anyhow. It's all yours. And you're only asking to, for me to give back a small portion. God, here it is, man. Here it is. God, I trust you. I love you. And by the way, there's not a dollar figure on that either. If you give more money, that doesn't mean that you love God more. It's a spiritual act of worship between you and God. Guys, I don't know where you're at. I don't know where you're being tested in your faith. But maybe today's the day where God is saying, take a look at Simeon. Take a look at his faith. What are you eagerly expecting? What are you eagerly expecting from God? As we close our time here uh, this morning, we're going to close with one last song. And I, I would pray that you would just really allow this song to be a prayer between you and God. If you want to spend some time praying, please feel free to do that as well. Just respond how God is asking you to respond.